read again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 6 through 8. Um, and then we're going to back up and deal with a couple of categories in these nine gifts that we did enumerate on Friday. We will be here tonight, and then we will be here again on Friday because we will not be getting through all of these gifts. They are um, they're worthy of deep reflection and deep cogitation. So if we assume that we have heard the apostle explain to us that the gifts of the Spirit are indeed that they are gifts, we may also assume that those gifts being given to us are given to us for God's glory and the benefit of others. That would be verse 7 in our text. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man for the profit of all. That's important for you to know. Um, as we talk about spiritual gifts, we have to know that they are not about us. That's important to know. It's about simply the people of God being available for God to use them the way that God wants to. What we said on Friday as well, I'll just put it out before I start categorizing things, is that because the Spirit of God is the one giving gifts, we'll see this over in verse 11, but all these worketh that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing or um, separating, distributing to every man severally as he wills. His right and prerogative is to give you the gifts that he wants. What that means is, is it's fundamentally vain for a person that, uh, to be contemplating the gifts of God in a way of, you know, I like this gift, I want that gift, I want the other gift. That is really a vain way of thinking because, well, that's not how God works. And so, therefore, the issue around gifts is discovery. The issue around gifts is discovery. Discovering what, how God has made you and what he has resourced you with and, and, and whether or not those gifts have emerged in your own awareness and in your own experience enough for you to identify them. So we're going to be talking about the gifts here in a moment. But in terms of their application in your life and mine, it's about whether or not those gifts can be identified and whether or not those gifts are emerging in your life in a way in which you go, aha, okay, so that's my gift. That's the way that works. It's not, Lord, I want the gift of tongues, or Lord, I want the gift of wisdom, or Lord, I want the gift of knowledge. Also, as I'm laying this foundation, and I talked about this before, having taught this class a number of times, every one of us has more than one gift. So because we have multiple gifts, at least two, if not more, some gifts will emerge more prominently than others, depending upon what your life situation is and how those qualities uh, begin to exercise themselves given the situation that you're in. Does that make some sense what I'm saying so far? So I'm going to say it again because I just want you to understand the requisite to the study. Otherwise, it's going to be very sort of abstract and, and pedantic, and that's not good. So when we talk about the uh, gifts of the Spirit, what we're simply talking about is the work of the Spirit of God in adorning his people to be productive for the cause of Christ in their life as human beings. When we talk about the work of the Spirit of God, the third person, the resident Lord, the one who is closest to you out of all three persons, the Holy Ghost, uh, we're talking about that person who makes your life meaningful. 
So when we're talking about gifts, we're talking about a life of meaning and a life of purpose. When those gifts emerge, they emerge of themselves based upon your life circumstances. I'm going around the bush again on purpose. Because what I want to help you understand is that, again, this is not an addendum to your life. A gift in this sense is not an addendum to you being like a, just a naked stock tree and, 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 and the Holy Ghost being like, you know, an adorner putting Christmas gifts on you. No, but people think that way. So what I mean by that is that when we look at these qualities, some of these qualities are going to be very logically, uh, logically um, conducive to uh, personality types, conducive to um, sociological um, patterns in our life, how we engage people. They're very practical in their purpose in our life. Um, they are broken up in three categories, and I, I want to make sure you get that quickly, and I talked about this on Friday. The first category is the category of signs, sign gifts. They're broken up in three categories, sign gifts. We're going we're gonna to prove that, but I'm not in a hurry to prove it tonight. I do want to delve into the first two gifts, and I'm sure I'll only actually get into the first one. They're broken up into three categories, sign gifts, sal salvation gifts. The gifts that actually affect the salvation of sinners, right? That is a gift in itself. I just want you to know that salvation is a gift. Do you know that? Salvation is a gift. That's what people need to know. For by grace are you saved and that not of yourselves. It is a so you need to know that salvation is a gift. So salvation has to be a function of the spirit's giving. That's important for you to know. It's really important to know that if we understand gifts, the dotai, we are understanding then that God is doing something sovereign in your life that does not merit your reciprocation, even though you do reciprocate. Right. It's the same as physical life is a gift. You do believe that. I don't care if you don't. It's still true. Okay, I mean, you no, I don't believe, believe, believe it or not, you didn't have anything to do with your physical life. Others did. So there were other wheels engaged in a process and mechanism which brought you into existence. Now, here's how this goes. I don't really want to go around this, but it's important to know. It's really, the kingdom of God is about revelation. It's about, um, it's about manifestation. It's about things emerging and you becoming aware of them. This is really true. This is really true. Like before you were brought into the kingdom of God in the grace of, uh, uh, of regeneration, that's what Jesus meant when he said in John 3, except you be born again, you can't even see the door to the kingdom. You don't even know there's a kingdom that exists. That's what I'm getting at. So the kingdom already exists even before you and I are a part of it. And then we have to be brought into it by regeneration, a work that is subconscious in terms of your awareness of it, just as subconscious as a little bitty baby in the womb of its parents. It does not require consciousness on the part of the child for them to be part of the kingdom. The child doesn't know anything about any of the preparatory work that goes into them being part of the kingdom. The child is not even profoundly aware of the mechanisms that allow them to grow in their mother's womb, which is a dimension of mystery. So it is with being born again. 
as newborn babes. We are growing in a womb of divine purpose and providence and largely without a strong cognition of those mechanisms. What we're doing is sensing that somehow God is dealing with us, but we don't fully understand it. By the time we get somewhat of a propositional understanding of what it means to be saved, we're well into having already been in the kingdom. It's equivalent to a child gradually emerging into an awareness that the person that they are drawn to is their mother. That the person that they are drawn to is their father. That is not something they propositionally know right away, but they know it cognitively. They know it uh, viscerally. They know it comprehensively. Their whole being is drawn to their mother because there is a necessary correlation between the two for them to live. Does that make sense? In fact, they are crying of a father. That is a deep intuitive knowing that this person has everything to do with me living. That makes sense. The child could never, ever pass a test if he had to write down who he was and who this person was that they were drawn to that sustaining their lives. What I'm helping you understand is by the time you and I get to propositional knowledge, propositional knowledge of truth claims, we're well down the line of having been given the gift of salvation. Did that make some sense? So that none of us can boast that the reason we're saved is because of our intellectual capacity. Because I'm smarter than the other person. I'm wiser. I'm cuter. I'm more talented. That would make God a respecter of persons. And then the analogy would fall apart, except you'd be born again, which you can't do born again. You can only be born again. Right? So it's important for you to know in that same way, um, salvation is a gift. We're sure of that, are we not? Right. Well, Signs will often precede, they will go before salvation as a, a prompting and calling to be saved. I want you to know that. So sign gifts will be employed to lead the sinner to a place where salvation is longed for. Did that make some sense? All right, good. I, I hope you're with me. I see quite a few people in the class, but it, just because your bodies are here does not mean you're here with me. Sign gifts are often used by God to bring people near before he employs the power of salvation in their life. If we experience the salvation gifts of God, guess what necessarily follows? Sanctification. Did that come to, did that come to light? And sanctification is to the gift of God because the whole of our salvation is a gift. I'm putting that out there because once I start talking about the different gifts, here is what you and I are going to do. We're going to be able to recognize the gifts in terms of their role as signs, their role as mechanisms for salvation, or their role as mechanisms for what? Sanctification. They're gonna, it's going to come back in a moment. That's what structure does for you. It's going to come back in a moment. When God deals with men and women, he manifests signs to draw them near to him. That's just the God of the Bible. You do know that. And then he reveals his salvation to them that brings them into the bosom of his plan and purpose in their life. And once you get to hanging out with God, sanctification is an ipso facto must. Be ye holy for I am holy. 
Okay, so watch what I mean as we work through the different gifts. There are nine in our context that we talked about the other day. It's not that that's all the gifts. Paul just enumerated nine. There are other gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, uh, Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12 also. And they still don't fully un unfurl the panoply of different gifts. Hopefully we can talk about uh, gifts on Friday in a more uh, selective way. But what I want to talk about is the first two gifts, and I probably will only get through the first. And the first gift is given to us in verse uh, 7, uh, verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. You guys see that? The word of wisdom. Now that's the first gift that Paul talks about. And because he's under inspiration of the Spirit of God, I am going to take this order. Remember I talked to you about the word toxomony? Remember toxomony? Toxomony means what? Order. Because he starts with wisdom, I am going to say that when the Spirit of God gives the gift of wisdom, what he is giving is a placard or a calling card concerning himself because the Spirit is itself wisdom. God is the only wise God. And men and women that know God are called to wisdom. So I want to first talk about wisdom simply being a fundamental attribute of God. Would that make some sense? Like the God of the Bible is not foolish. So he's the only wise God. Would you would agree with that? So when he gives the gift of wisdom, he's actually giving us a quality that when that gift is discovered in your life and it emerges in your life and it shows up in your life, guess what you are doing with that gift? You are representing the God who himself is wisdom. That makes sense. All right. So it would also make sense to me that the gifts that God gives us is for his glory and they become insights to other people of the nature and character of God. Would that follow? Good, I want you to get it because what we're going to be talking about is the word of wisdom. It's a gift. The word of wisdom. That's the way Paul put it here. And in your outline, under the word of wisdom, I have three slashes. You guys see that? Three categories? And that's because I'm going to start with the Old Testament and build a kind of framework for that proposition. This is really, uh, noun is wisdom. Uh, uh, the noun in our outline is word, logos. That's our noun, logos. That's the word, right? In the beginning was the what? Right. Now, this is our noun, and the wisdom is the adjective. It's the way in which the word expresses itself. The word of what? Wisdom. It's very important. But I'll show you something else as we make our way to get going to that. He says the first one is the first gift that the spirit gives is the spirit uh, uh, is the word of wisdom. And to another, he will give the word of what? Yeah. All right. So that's a second gift. I don't know if we're going to get that to that today because we don't necessarily have to. But it is the word as well. This time it is the word of knowledge which because it's a different gift, it has to be emphasizing a different quality of word, a different adjectival expression of the word. Remember, both of these are the word. So what is Paul saying? 
The first two gifts that he's sharing with the body of Christ that the Spirit gives is about communication. It's about communicating. That's important to get. And it's about communicating with words. That's important for you to get. So I want you to capture that the role of the third person is to represent the second person whose role is to represent who? The first person is who? The second person is who? And the role of the third person is to represent who? Who is the word? So now, when the people of God are exposed to the blessing of the spirit, what they're made to do is be qualified to have conversations with people. That's what this whole subject matter of the gifts is about. And I don't think that it's insignificant or rote or accidental that the first gift he's talking about are words. Because words become the means by which men who don't know God learn about God. And qualitatively, what Paul is stating is that the word of wisdom capacitates for you and I in a dialogue or a communion or an event, or as I shared with you on Friday, I said that the role of the Father is to empower the gifts, and the role of the Son is to give you assignments so that those gifts can be employed. Didn't I say that? He administers events. He tells you to go here, go there. You got an assignment here. It's the Holy Ghost that gives you the gift, the equipment necessary to engage that assignment. So here, the first one is the gift of wisdom. There are three categories minimum that I want to address in the area of the word of wisdom, the word of wisdom. The first one is going to be understood in terms of what I am going to call, you can write it down, but I'm going to show you the scripture, wise words. I actually want to reverse that, though it is, in fact, wise words. This will be Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11. I want to talk about the words of the wise. The words of the wise. That's the first framing out of the word of wisdom. If someone saw you operating out of the word of wisdom and they were to frequently engage you in conversation and to be able to enjoy time with you and that gift had its way in your life, and every time they engaged you, the word of wisdom was operating. When they went away from you, wouldn't they say, that person seems to be very wise? It's important for you to capture that. This is what I want you to get. I'm, I'm going to take our time because this is not about hocus pocus, pulling rabbits out the hat. This is about really understanding how God cultivates in us different gifts based upon a ton of different things that can be requisite to that gift. But at the end of the day, if you and I are discovering that we have the capacity to communicate to men and women and anyone words of wisdom, it may be one of the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Did that make some sense? 
Right. So I'm going to build on that for today, but I just want you to think about it. We don't have to drill down and act like we know everything. We can do that on Friday. That's what we do, unpack these things. But I do want us to have a conversation about these eight gifts because I want you to actually be able to kind of... Um, survey your own conscious awareness of yourself and ask yourself what gifts are emerging in my life that God has given me that I may recognize correspond with the gifts we're talking about so I can be more intentional about those gifts so those gifts can actually develop and produce more fruit as they are aimed to do. All right, so the first thing around the word of wisdom the word of wisdom is that Solomon says this, the words of the what? Wise. The words of the wise. So again, the communication of a wise person, it's in the plural form, the word of the, the words of the wise. Literally, it's the word of the wise. It's the idea that wise men and women have a reputation of being able to communicate with words, wisdom. Now notice what he says about them. He says, the words of the wise are like goads. Now, what is a goad? A goad is a stick. It's a prod. It's a, it's, a, it's a tool designed to direct. It's literally the rod that was used for goading your ox or your ass to keep them in line. Did that make some sense? Right. The words of the wise are as goads. Now, Middle Eastern people would pick that up carefully because they understood zoomorphic correlation to human attributes and behavior. You and I should, too. Let's say you are a ass. <laughs> I had no pun intended. But let's say you're a donkey. I have been one, and I've on occasion still am one. Uh, I do need to be goaded. Right. I need a firm word that gets me back on track so that I'm productive for my master. Did that come home? Right. Now, the goal is going to have a kind of stigmatic uh, impact on me, simply not so much because it's God really trying to hurt me, but it's just because my nature is such that I might get out of line way more frequently than I should. And in his wisdom, a gold gets me back in line much more quickly than just having a conversation with me. Did that make some sense? Some of us need golds. And that's what wise words can do. They can go. So now really what we're talking about here is not the, uh, we're not talking about the volume or the momentum or the expression of your words. We're talking about the effect of your words. So what I don't want you to imagine as we're working through this gift, I don't want you to imagine that you can even visualize how the word of wisdom should come out of your mouth in some kind of tonation or in some kind of volume or in some kind of inflection because all of that is irrelevant. I'm getting ready to show you that when I deal with category B, okay? I'm gonna show you that words of wisdom are not how words sound, it's what words do in affecting us from being out of the path back onto the path. Does that make sense? All right, so I want to do something else. Not only do we want to acknowledge that the words of the wise are like goals, 
but they're also like nails. Now, nails fasten things down. And the metaphor here is that when wise words are employed in the dialogue and conversation between the person that's exercising the gift of wise words and the person who is the beneficiary of those words is that what you say to them sticks. It sticks. It's not easily blown off. They can't walk away from that word. They don't remain at liberty not to be impacted by that word. Did that make some money? Make some money. Did that make some sense? They can make money too, according to Solomon. The idea of the words being like nails, notice what it says, fastened, fastened by the masters of assembly. This is what we call a synecdotal expression because the nails are actually being driven into boards and the boards are being driven into a project scenario that is a composite whole. In other words, the nails are on purpose driving the boards into a project for which the boards were made so that the boards and the nails, which are a consequence of the skill of the driver, is in order to bring that person into a project so that they are clear on their purpose in that project. The metaphor here is that of a building. Do you see it? So first of all, I started with the zoomorphic metaphor of an ox or an ass or a horse, someone that can be prodded to be made to go in the direction that it needs to do. That certainly could have been the analogy for us in the area of agriculture, sowing good seed. You need to make sure you run the furrows on the ground very straight so that when the seed is sown, we get maximum output. That's a consequence of the labor of the ox, right? The ox treading out the corn only after the seed is sown, only after the ground is followed and broken up. That's the labor of the ox who is used to the rod too, right? In both analogies, we are being made to understand our usefulness of words in the area of productivity and blessing and fruitfulness. So one analogy is agricultural. The other one is in terms of what we would call a, a building metaphor. So I, I like this. So I'm going to take away from the idea of the words of wisdom, the fact that the words of the wise build up. They build up. This is how you can know. They edify. We've talked about this before. So, so when I go away from a person who has the words of wisdom, I'm edified. Even if I am prodded, prodded back into my lane, I'm also edified by them because something they say sticks in such a way as that it props me up and it actually helps me acquire more clarity in the direction that I should be going. Does that make some sense? Right, and, and I'm gonna make a contradistinction between it and knowledge in a moment, but what I'm sharing with you is when the analogy works itself out, what it's describing is the words of the wise serve to be effective in the conversation with people that need to be put back in the right place or people that need to be made clear as to their role in the larger product of God's edification plan. I'm a board in the 
larger scale of God's building project. Every one of us are, are we not? And so if I am nailed by a proposition or a discourse or a conversation, if I'm metaphorically nailed to the wall as a board, you put me in my place. See the metaphor? You put me in my place. Do you see the metaphor? It's important. It's important here. These, these words are important. These, this is the work of the Spirit of God. Man, that put me in my place. I'm clear now. At least for the moment. He might have to take that hammer and hit, hit it again. Because, you know, some nails take a while to drive in. But he, if they start the stick, you're not going nowhere. You might be flopping around, but he's going to nail you down in a minute. It's the word of wisdom. Remember what I'm saying about this. This is what I want you to get. The word of wisdom is about efficacy. It's not about aesthetics. It's not about feeling. It's about outcome. I mean, we can both agree that if the board could go out, it would. If the donkey could go, hey, man, whoa, it would. But at the end of the day, the donkey is walking a straight line, being productive. And at the end of the day, the board is in a place where it now is part of a larger community of coordinates that is now an edification project that can be helpful to somebody. And that's what the body of Christ is called to under that particular metaphor. The words of the wise are goads and as nails fastened by masters, plural. See the word there, scholars, literally teachers. What I'm doing, what I am assumed to be as a master, a didascalon. This is a teacher. The words of the teachers of assemblies, the masters of assemblies. The assembly is the church. We have assembled together today. Remember, the whole idea of members being brought back together. So the Spirit of God summoned us on Tuesday at 6.30, and here we are, an assembly. And maybe we're being goaded, and maybe we are being nailed down. Maybe we are being um, buoyed up and strengthened and edified, maybe. And if I were to kind of break that down into more organic terms, this is what should occur every time we engage one another in general fellowship. In general fellowship, there should be an experience of some kind of presence of the Spirit of God moving us into alignment with his will and strengthening us in our edification along the lines of our purpose for him. Does that make some sense? Right. Also, as I get ready to go to my uh, second category on this, because I really want to stay on the words of wisdom, the gift of wisdom tonight, because there's a reason for it. You should look for the absence of wisdom when you engage people. You should look for the absence of wisdom when you engage people so that you can know what it feels like to be wasting your time. You need to be conscious of when you're wasting your time. Does anybody know what I mean by that? Here you are having a conversation with somebody and 10 minutes in you go, you know what? This dude is blowing smoke, right? Like, like if, you, if you don't know, really, you don't want to be there. Unless the tables can be flipped and unless God is calling you to be the person exercising the word of wisdom, but be very careful 
if you recognize that they are a fool, are being foolish, are being frivolous, are being aimless, are being wasteful, which is what it means to not have wisdom, your job is not to turn around and try to correct them. Because according to Proverbs, you may end up being just like them. Did that make some sense? Right. So it's not necessarily so that if you find yourself in the space with a fool, a person that's being foolish, because we all can, that is your job to say, hey, let's stop being foolish. Your job is to discern whether or not you should follow the first principle of just not being foolish like them. That takes grace. And then determining whether or not you should follow the principle of the proverb, when you perceive not the lips of knowledge in him that's speaking with you, go away. This is when you say, oh, you know what? I got something else to do. And you pray and you check out. Because otherwise you are proving that you have a peccant, a kind of bent, a kind of addiction to foolish talk. Did that make some sense? And some of us do. Some of us don't mind people saying anything stupid, ignorant, opaque, confusing, chaotic. You just want some attention. Now you know that you are not seeking wisdom. I'll drill down into that more particularly on Friday. All right, here's the second category I want us to get. So uh, wise words will come from those who have the capacity to put you in your place, to nail you down, to help build you up, and that, all of that can hurt, but then you're happy about it. The second category I want you to capture is what I am calling uh, the wisdom of words. The wisdom of words. And Paul would tell you and I to avoid that. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. You heard this already, but I want you to hear it again. Because wise words and the wisdom of words are not the same thing. And this is where you and I want to have discernment too. I'm about to explain that briefly. Here's what he says. And I, brethren, when I came to you, speaking to the Corinthians, I came not with excellency of speech. There it is. I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Now, now, now again, this is a synecdotal expression. And what that means is, on the one hand, Paul is saying, I absolutely did not come to you to impress you with the way I speak. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I know you people are given to rhetoric and all kinds of fancy flights of expressions and rhetorical devices. I know you're given to the hyper-emotional um, vulnerability of the way people say words. Right. Right. And you actually are being dumbed down by that, not built up. You are not built up if you are emoting before you are educating. Does that make some sense? If all you are doing is emoting, you are actually being torn down. Right. So here's what he says. I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the gospel. That's the testimony of Jesus. Notice what he says, verse two. I want to make it to verse four. For I determined to know nothing among you except the crude reality of the necessity of God sending his only begotten son to save you. See it? Now, this is the message that the whole world hates. And yet we gather together every week 
two to three times a week to hear a distilled truth that emerges from that one central event. Do we not? So I want to say it again, just in case people, people don't get it. When he says, I'm only determined to know among you what the cross of Christ means to you, what he wasn't saying was, I'm coming to you every time we talk and I'm going to repeat the historical event of the death of Christ on the cross. That's not what he meant. What he meant was, what does the death of Christ mean to you in terms of your salvation, in terms of your calling, in terms of your usefulness, in terms of your purpose for God, in terms of your destiny, in terms of your eternality? What were the benefits derived from this sacrificial event that changed your life radically? See what I'm getting at? Mm -hmm. So what Paul was saying is, I want to make sure that you understand that I wasn't coming to hoodwink you with words. I'm not coming to put you to sleep with propaganda. Very good. Verse 3. Notice what he says. I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling. I love that. Mark this down because the, 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 the word of wisdom coming from any of God's servant must come from a place of humility. Notice what he does. He didn't have to do it, but this here is like a full disclosure of his emotional and psychological disposition. He says, I am not coming to you in the confidence of someone that could wrap you up with words, spill bind you and get you to sign a contract and sign your soul away because I'm so good with words. He said, no, I came to you in fear and in trembling and with much weakness. And we know this in, according to Acts chapter 18. He was completely disconfident in himself. He had no idea what the outcome of preaching the gospel to the Corinthians would be because if you went back, there was all kind of muckamaroo, all kind of chaos, all kind of conflict. Jews here, Gentiles there wanting to take Paul out. He was not sure how ministering to the Corinthians would work out. Folks are going to jail. Riots are taking place. All around this little Jewish brother that's trying to be all things to all men that if by any means he might win some. That's what we were talking about. This little brother that's just trying to sit and chill, you know, talk, eat, and, 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 and enjoy, and then share Christ. And it's uh, uproar everywhere. He was not feeling good about that. And as he is in a place of trepidation, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Paul, be still, calm down. I have many people in this place. He didn't see them because they had not come to emergence yet because Paul would still have to preach the gospel for two years for that to manifest itself. But once it happened, guess what he was saying? I love boasting about the regions of Achaia because now believers are popping up all over Corinth. Does that make some sense, you guys? So a lot of times what God is going to do, if a word of wisdom is going to be part of your gifting, he's going to call you to the level of patience needed because wisdom which will be our kind of final thought for tonight, is never something that happens right away. Wisdom is never, ever something that happens right away. That's going to be a big difference between the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. The idea of wisdom in the scripture is the idea of skill and cunning. And, 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 and wise and insightful calculation. It's measured, it's thoughtful, it's vision-oriented, 
And what I mean by vision-oriented, wisdom actually sees the outcome of the thing because it has a pattern already in mind. Did that make some sense? Very important for us to know. Wisdom has a pattern in mind. So one more verse, uh, verse four. I want to drill down into this gift a bit, a bit more. Now notice what he says. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of, here it is, man's wisdom. There it is. So what Paul was doing was making sure that the Corinthians didn't have a diet of human rhetoric, which always caters to pride. How things sound. Did y'all get that? How it sounds. How it feels. How it makes me at the emotional level. As opposed to what is its own intrinsic content and what are its implications to me in terms of the real litmus as to the worthiness of me sitting and hearing you. Like, like say, for instance, you don't know that you really should be coming to hear the word of God. I mean, really hear the word of God. That you're just kind of here because it's, you know, kind of a, a, a protocol. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go to church. See, whatever that dude is talking about, whatever. Well, you don't have a litmus. You don't have a plumb line. You don't have a baseline. So like when you leave here tonight, if you don't have a baseline, you won't know whether or not you had an encounter with the word of God. What you're going to do is go away saying, I ain't getting nothing tonight. And that would be such a scandal in heaven, would it not? If in fact what you heard tonight was the very word of God. Because what you would be doing is indicting God for not catering to your felt needs. Am I making some sense? Right. So whenever you come into community around an assembly for the purpose of hearing something, you should be able to resolve within yourself. I'm coming to hear God's word and hear from God through his word. And then you should be able to not only in coming have your ears predisposed to hear something, but take something away. Your job is to take it away. Ah, that's for me. That's for me. I heard you, Lord. And when you go away, you can say, I was edified. Not gratified, edified. Does that make some sense? All right, very important. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of what? We're talking about the gifts of the spirit, right? Demonstration of the spirit. And Paul would add this and of power. So really, that's really what I'm talking about. If you and I are operating out of that first tiered gift, the spirit of wisdom, what people are going to go away with is a sense of them experiencing God through you at the level of true, relevant to their needs. Not just ideas being communicated in the abstract. Am I making some sense? Because if you and I are just merely given to words in a general sense, we are not specific about why we are drawing near to God. All right, so let me see if I can help you with that, and then I'm going to uh, probably close it down, and I'll deal with the word of knowledge with the word of wisdom as um, corollaries and contradistinctions next time. There are some verses I want to run through. First time this Hebrew phrase is used in the Old Testament, obviously in the New Testament is Sophia, but the first time this phrase is uh, used in the Old Testament is used in an expression around how God deals with uh, building something. For instance, we'll take 
uh, we'll take Exodus chapter 31. Look in Exodus chapter 31, uh, verse 6. Exodus 31, verse 6. This is how, um, how God uses this term. Exodus 31, verse 6. Listen to these words. And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are what? Wise-hearted, I have put wisdom. Now watch this. That they may make all that I have commanded thee. Do you see that? Go to chapter 36, verse 1. I think that's another one. Chapter 36, verse 1. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing here. Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab, those are the two men, and every wise-hearted man. Do you see that? So you got two main leaders and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put what? Wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for their own glory. Look at it carefully. Look at it carefully. God gave these men wisdom so that they could work for the building project that God had called them to in the wilderness, which was to build the tabernacle. Did that come home? He put wisdom in their heart so that they would know how to take every piece of material that they had brought out of Egypt, the cloth, the badger skin, the goat skin, the wood, the silver, the gold, the precious stone, all of it was raw material. Y'all keeping up with me? All of this raw material that had no form, it had no shape, it was simply available material that required the word of wisdom to frame and shape into an image of something that God wanted done that God says requires wisdom. Makes sense, doesn't it? So God says, build me a tabernacle. Okay. Why are you going to get this done, God? Because we got a bunch of material here. Well, I need people that have wisdom. Who know how to organize material. And categorize material. And prioritize material. So that in the organization, categorizing and prioritizing material, I can have a, an edifice built up that will render a place for my glory. Now we can make an application to where we were in the... Uh, Ecclesiastes 12 11 account wise words are designed to build up the body of Christ into a temple by which God resides did that come home wise words are designed to take the raw material of human beings who are the sanctified product of a holy God in their raw independent state and organize them and categorize them so that they can be goaded into and nailed into their position in the body of Christ so that they can be fixed, rooted and grounded in the body of Christ. Remember, you're being called into the body and you're being called specifically into a place in that body, a specific role with specific missions and specific giftings, and it takes the word of wisdom to help you identify that so that you can actually operate out of your highest calling so that the composite whole of the body can be this exquisite edifice that God himself is dwelling in, which is beautiful and holy in its nature, and men and women are designed by it to be drawn to it. Does that make some sense? 
All right, let's consider the converse before we shut it down. This is why what we're dealing with in um, the Corinthian study, the overarching title is order out of what? Chaos. Order out of what? Chaos. All right. So in our unsaved state, you and I are chaos. Sorry. I know your mama didn't name you that, but your pastor just named you chaos. That's your, that's your behavior. That's your thought. Those were your choice making. You and I are chaos because we're dislodged from purpose outside of God. So when God saves us, he takes our chaos and turns it into order. Order out of chaos. Did that make some sense? So that's what he's doing with us. He's goading us into position. He's nailing us down into stability. He's building us into something that is visibly, obviously productive and beneficial. He's collating the pieces together by the word of wisdom, by wise-hearted people, so that unlike being the independent uh, 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 boards and nails and planks and stones out there scattered abroad in the wilderness with no order, no clarity, no purpose, no beauty, now we're being made beautiful by the wisdom of the Spirit of God through words. That makes sense, doesn't it? Through words. That's what he's calling us to. The, the idea of the concept of wisdom in the Hebrew hamak means to be skilled. It means to be cunning. It means to be experienced. It means to be wise. It means to be deliberate. It means to be judicious. Am I making some sense? Right. So when you know people who are that way, watch this. As a gift, it was given to them. They discovered it. And then they owned it and they cultivated it and then they practiced it. That's the point that I'm going to drive home. So whenever gifts are given to us, they are not given to us because they are gifts we want. So here's what will happen in the church community because it has been overrun. You know, we talk about regulatory capture and all these other disciplines and, and structures and systems, right? Where the malfeasance of money is all about why that structure is there. Is, am I making some sense? Some of y'all know what I mean by regulatory capture. Every good thing is captured by the enemy and used for his own glory and therefore its intrinsic quality is ruined. The same is true for the church. The church is nothing but a commodity of a sales pitch in many ways where people are nothing but products for a goal and an end. And it is very obvious by the show that the church puts on. And this is why real serious people about God don't find a lot of patience with show religion. Because it's absent of wisdom. Right. So the same thing is, is here that I'm, I'm sharing with you. When you meet someone who actually has the gift of the word of wisdom, you'll know it not because of the showiness of their words. Because that is such a fleeting thing. You and I can be impressed by the showiness of words. And then we can also be duped by them. That's the salesman. Am I making some sense? Right. Isn't the salesman a scary person? 
You ought, you ought to be scared of the salesman. And it's not so much about the salesman, but it's about you being predisposed to simply agree with the salesman because he makes you feel good. He will tell you, you, you deserve that timeshare. You've worked hard all your life. You deserve that, right? And draw you in and you really know that you're being hooked by your carnality. And you're going, why am I being drawn in? Because you're foolish. Am I telling the truth? Right, so I'm bleeding over into social media right now because it's everywhere on your social media. And every day your kids are bombarded by it. And every day your kids got to fight with either being a fool or a wise man. And they're ultimately achieving wisdom will be in part due to whether or not you have achieved wisdom. Because if you haven't achieved wisdom, you can't expect them to achieve it. We don't live in a vacuum. Either we are being foolish and engaging in foolish frivolity that has no lasting benefit, and therefore we have no discernment between the gold, silver, and precious stones of eternal truth and the wood, hay, and stubble of material carnal gratification. Am I making some sense? And we'll be open to the proposition of carnal things instead of spiritual things. The gift of the word of wisdom, when it shows up in your life, it actually sobers you up. That person is speaking in a sober way to you that is immediately reminding you that this is a verity that I need to regard. Verity meaning a truth that I need to regard. This person is not coming off as controlling. They're not coming off as dominating me. They're not coming off as, as, as actually needing me to be a codependent a mode of affirmation to them. They're simply giving me a word of wisdom. That's the gift. When you hear the word of wisdom from someone, they give that to you freely. And that fundamental, the fundamental characteristic that shows up in their life is that they are really, truly humble. They're not trying to control you. Did that make some sense? Because the gift was cultivated. They discovered it. And they said, God has taken me through so many trials, so many difficulties, so many challenges, so many problems in life. He has kept my mind. He has kept my heart. He has allowed me to have a filter. He's given me the ability to penetrate into and see all of the different uh, uh, maladies that go on in the machinations of men and wisdom. He's allowed me to learn how to make right choices. And then on top of that, he's graced me to frame it in words that can be received by a brother or sister without great complication. That is the word of wisdom. All right, that's it. We're going to uh, take a break. We'll pick up on Friday the word of knowledge. And then I'll show you, de I'll demonstrate on Friday the word of wisdom in scriptural examples because we, we need to have that too. May God give us all the word of wisdom.